0: some exciting stuff going on. We've got community transformation, we've got people going on mission, we've got all sorts of... I'm left-handed. We've got all sorts of things happening and we've got that fantastic psalm that Brian read to us. I was really blessed by that. Um, In some translations it says, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And that's what I wanted to talk about today, about mercy. I'm going to talk about the mercy of mission. Um, Back end of last year, I had the privilege of being with the Connect group that meet on a Wednesday afternoon at two o'clock here. And we were talking about mercy and we had a great time, a, a discussion. And Marjorie said to me, well, could you could you do that on a Sunday morning? Could you talk about mercy on a Sunday morning? So I just left it with God. And I thought, yes, there's more to say about mercy. Um, so that's that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we think about, well, what's mercy? I think about grace and all that that entails. And if grace is getting what we don't deserve, then mercy is God not punishing us for what we do deserve. And it's much easier to talk about grace. Oh, I love grace. All the unconditional love, all the good stuff, the forgiveness, the salvation, the restoration. Oh, I could talk about that for a long time. But when we start to look at what we've been rescued from, sometimes those themes are much more challenging. When we think about eternal judgment, about separation from God, about hell, Not many people talk about about hell now. Hellfire and brimstone. That's what the old preachers used to preach, wasn't it? But when we start to to look at what we've been rescued from, sometimes that can be much more challenging. But you know, you can't have grace without mercy. You can't have one without the other. I'm very much, I love symmetry. And we need to look at what came before the cross as well as what came after the cross. I think there's a good good balance there because if we don't if we just look at the good stuff that we've received then actually it robs us of some of the power of the gospel because we're not preaching a good news that's just a a feel-good gospel we're preaching the full gospel and that includes what we've been saved from as well as what we've been saved to because that's the power of it that's the real power what we've been saved from as well And in the New King James Version, Psalm 5, chapter 7, it says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. The multitude of God's mercy. But mercy is the way in. Mercy is how we get to be with God. So we're going to look a bit about what the Bible says about mercy. And like much in the world of of translation and different Bible versions and all that sort of thing, you're never going to get a word-for-word translation that fits in nice and neatly. But what we do get with mercy is all sorts of themes of wonderful concepts of what God has done for us and words from the Hebrew and the Greek that come together to form mercy are things like ransom, compassion, goodness, loving kindness and the concept of being merciful and showing mercy and often it's a bit of an old fashioned word now a lot of the new translations they don't use the word mercy which is why i've gone back to the new king james charlie i know it will have mercy in, in your authorised version because it just there's a richness in the word mercy and sometimes it's translated as love or loving kindness but actually mercy is so much more than that and in the old testament the story runs through doesn't it of God's people time and time again messing it up and the whole theme points to Jesus and brings us to that glorious um, point of the cross and this is summed up admirably in Nehemiah chapter 9 if you'd like to have a look at that if you ever want a sort of potted history of what's happened to the Israelites Nehemiah chapter 9 is a glorious place to start The Israelites are confessing their sins and they're praising God. And there's a whole catalogue of what's gone before, of how God has established his covenant and how he has um, brought the commandments and how they have continually got it wrong. And uh, verse 30, we'll start at. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. And this is a wonderful illustration of God's continued mercy. He should have just left them to themselves, but every time he rescued them. And all of this points to what God does for us in Jesus. If you have ever wondered how many times you can mess up before God will abandon you, then I can tell you that that won't happen. God will not abandon you. God will always be there. God always shows us mercy. He does not destroy us. In fact, in order to have a relationship with us, God had to show us mercy. The dictionary definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And it is within God's power to do us harm. It is within God's power to destroy us. But it is not within his nature. Psalm 25, verse 10 to 11 says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. And I love this bit. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Well, as we are his works, His tender mercies are over us. Mercy is intrinsic to who God is. And it's the motivation for all that he does. So what's the exchange? What have we been saved from? And what have we been saved to? In Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God, who is rich in mercy. There's not just a little bit of mercy, but he's rich in it. And we'll just look at, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. This could take a while because there's a lot in this. Okay, I don't even know where to start. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. In his great mercy, God gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus... He gave us new birth. He gave us hope. He gave us an inheritance. He gave us salvation. There's a lot there in those three verses. I think we could just concentrate on those for the next six months. We wouldn't need to go anywhere else. But that's what God did for us. That's what God's mercy has done for us. And conventional... Thinking, conventional wisdom, binary thinking, dictates that mercy and justice are mutually exclusive. So if somebody robs your house or somebody assaults you and they get sent to court, and it's a Friday afternoon, and the judge is feeling really good. he's going on holiday tomorrow. He feels really happy, and he thinks, "Do you know what, this is so great. I'm just going to let you off. It's okay." It's fine. Just, you just go. Well, the judge has shown you mercy, but justice has not been done. And how would you feel? How would you feel if somebody had robbed your house, assaulted you, and and the judge just said, it's all right, I'm in a good mood. I think I'll just send them home. Thank you very much. He's shown them mercy, but there is no justice. And you would feel wronged unto by that but the fantastic thing about God is that not only is there mercy but there is also justice we get both of them together because he sent Jesus because of Jesus we have the best of both worlds at no point is our sin dismissed it may be forgiven and indeed it's wiped out But its existence and its ability to separate us from God is a fact. In this imperfect world that we live in, sin still exists. And yet, our sin has been wiped out. But that's the power, the power of the gospel. That sin is still there and has the potential to separate us from God. But it's been wiped out. It's been forgiven. I don't even know how those two things sit together sometimes. But our sin is very real and our sin has been forgiven and taken away. And that separation from God has gone. And that is the power of the cross. We are objects of God's mercy through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of Jesus and the power of Of the cross. But why the mission of mercy? What does that mean? Well, our mission is to go into all the world and make disciples. Our mission is to bring the good news. Our mission is to bind up the brokenhearted. Our mission is to weep with those that weep. Our mission is to mourn with those who mourn. And we can use that gift of mercy that we've been given. We can use that revelation that we have. Because mercy always demands a response. And the first response is always to God. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And our first response is to pour out our worship and gratitude to God that He has saved and rescued us. That when we think about what he's done for us, that we cannot help but praise him and worship him and be grateful to him. And that's why we're here today. One of the things that we do is we come together to worship him, don't we? We make an occasion of it. We have a a group of, of worship leaders that play their instruments and we sing together and we make an occasion of coming together to respond to God and to thank him and to praise him. And it's in view of God's great mercy. This is our true and proper worship. The way that we worship God, the way that we make an occasion of it, is because of God's mercy to us. And our second response is to show mercy to others. Because if God has shown mercy to us, then surely our hearts would say that we show mercy to others. In Luke 10 we read about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I won't go through the whole parable, but the Samaritan helps a Jew who is beaten up by robbers. And normally the Jew and the Samaritan would not mix together. So this is more than just the Samaritan being good. This is a real sacrifice for him and a real out-of-his-comfort zone. And we'll pick up the story in verse 36, because the reason that Jesus is telling this parable is because an expert in the law asked him what he needs to do to inherit the kingdom of God. And in verse 36, Jesus asks the expert of the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Our response to the mercy of God is to go and do likewise. We've had a bit of Greek and we've had a bit of Hebrew. Move on to a bit of Latin now. So the main word for mercy in Latin is misericordia, which literally means miserable heart. However, um, there's a Catholic evangelist named George Koziky, and he interpreted it like this. Having a pain in your heart for the pains of others and taking pains to do something about their pain. That is mercy. Having a pain in your heart for the pains of others and taking pains to do something about their pain. Thomas Aquinas defined mercy as the compassion in our hearts For another person's misery. A compassion which drives us to do what we can to help him. And Pope John Paul II describes mercy as love's second name. I really like that. Isn't it lovely? Mercy, love's second name. And I'm not asking us to go out and save the whole world. I'm not even suggesting that you should try and bring Jesus into every conversation you have with your workmates. I'm not suggesting that you tell all your friends that they're going to hell in a handcart and they need to get Jesus now because they might die tonight and then what's going to happen tomorrow? You can if you want to. All those options are there. And I know some of you have set yourselves a mission of saving the whole world. And I think that is fantastic, Jackie Simpson, okay? <laughs> I just want you to be yourselves. But what I'm suggesting is that we just spend some time thinking about what we've been saved from. That we just spend some time thinking about the exchange that Jesus has made on the cross for us. That we spend some time just thinking about the mercy that has been shown to us. And that we give room for the Holy Spirit to reveal more of that to us. And that we use what that produces in us to go and do likewise. This morning, Eric Scotland brought us a a picture when we were in the prayer meeting. And it was of the flying Scotsman. Or as Joe put it, the flying Scotland. And it was of a steam engine. And the way that the steam engine gets its locomotion, the way it gets its speed up, is when the fire is stoked and the steam is produced. And one of the things that Eric was telling us that, that God was saying is to, is to stoke your fire, is to allow your fire to be stoked, to, to, to let God do that and to be open to your fire being stoked. And I would say to you, in your contemplation of mercy and of the mercy that's been shown to us, allow your fire to be stoked allow those coals to glow, allow that steam to to be um, produced and allow that motivation and that, that forward moving of bringing in the kingdom of God. Because if we just think about what God has done for us and we allow that to work in us, then we too can go and do likewise.